This week I heard a story from a pastor friend. He shared that his daughter had been out trick-or-treating. I think she's 11, maybe 12 years old, those tween years. She reported to him that she'd had a great time, and, and then she shared the one story that she remembered from her night. She said she and her friends, they, they came to a house, and the, the porch lights were on, and so, so they went up, and they, they knocked on the door, and there was, a, there was a big sign on the door, and it said, Jesus loves you. You'd think, pretty good candy haul at this house, right? And uh, uh, she said they knocked on the door, and they could see inside this big picture window, and there were people in there, and they were watching television. And, uh, and it said, she said they, they turned and looked as they knocked on the door and then turned back and completely ignored them. She said she and her, her friends walked away, and of all the fun that night, that, that was the story she remembered to tell her, to tell her dad. Now, with grace and not being judgmental, we should pause just a moment and, and note that the people inside, they may have run out of candy and they just didn't have any left. Maybe uh, the porch lights were on for some other reason and they didn't think about trick-or-treaters coming up to their house. There could, have been, there could have been a lot of reasons. At the same time, though, the impact of their action, or in this case, inaction, on this 11 or 12-year-old and her group of friends raises a question that I think is worth asking. What do our lives say to others about Jesus? What do our lives say to those around us about Jesus? Would you pray with me? Lord, speak to us this day. Through these words, in spite of these words, just, just speak to our hearts. Open us to, open us to hear what you would have to say to each one of us today. Open us to open our eyes to, to see what you would want us to see, God. And Lord, just fill our hearts again as we pray over and over again, fill our hearts again to overflowing with your love that we might share it so we can point people to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let me just take a quick poll today. Uh, how many of you saw the, the title for today, Will You Vote for Jesus, and were immediately a little uncomfortable? Anybody willing to admit it? Or you're, like, or, or you're nervous. Right now you're nervous. You're like, where is this going today? I, I'm not so sure about why Brian would pick a title like that. And I, I'll admit that it's a dangerous title to use a couple days before an election. Right? But I like titles that simply say what we are going to talk about or, or what the scripture is pointing to that day. And, and today we're going to explore in Luke's gospel. And I, I think there's, there's something in there about how we vote or don't vote for Jesus. Now, to be clear and upfront, we're not going to talk about ballots or going to the ballot box. I just I want that out there so, so you know. Um, I don't think Jesus would run for office today. I'm pretty sure Jesus wouldn't run for office today. I don't think there is any way he would put his name on a ballot. And here's why. You see, because, because Jesus, the community that Jesus wants to build, the kingdom he invites his followers to be a part of, it was not to be built with political power and influence. 
Jesus could have made himself ruler. He had that power, but he didn't. Right? God's kingdom in the way of Jesus was to be spread by sharing kindness and love and grace and healing and then inviting people into it who wanted to know that kind of love, that kind of community, that kind of kingdom themselves. This was the way of Jesus. Right? This way, it's humble and invitational and sacrificial. It's not forced or coerced or mandated, which means that voting for Jesus is not something we do at the ballot box. Voting for Jesus is something that we do every day in every moment as we live our lives. And every moment we're saying whether we are, we are voting for the kingdom of Jesus with the way that we live. And the foundation for this, the foundation for this is found, I think, in Luke's gospel, in Jesus' teachings. In chapter 12 in Luke's gospel, and if you want to follow along today, you can, you can go there. There's, a, there's this interesting moment in the ministry of Jesus. It starts right at the beginning of chapter 12, verse 1. It says this, Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to the disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. This is what I picture. The, the Bible doesn't sort of give us lots of details lots of times about these stories, but, but I picture I picture Jesus has, has taught, right, and he's healed, and all of these people are now beginning to gather. The Pharisees are gathering because this is a threat to, to the system that they've built, and so all these people are gathered around Jesus. It, it's like a rock concert, right? They're, they're all there. They all sort of want to ask him questions or get close to him, and and they all want to be, either they want to be part of this new thing, and, and they're, they're there because they each want something from Jesus, or, or they're there because Jesus is a threat to them, and they want to, they want to challenge and, and knock that down. They all have their own issues. They all want to be healed, or to, or to come close to his power, or, or as some of the disciples will ask later, to, to be part of this movement, to be like key players in this movement, or, or again, to knock it down. And Jesus sees all these people, who want something for themselves in this gathering. And so he turns to the disciples and he warns them. He turns to the disciples and he warns them. This is what he says starting in chapter 12, verse 2. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. 
I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemies against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what to say. Again, this is my imagination of this story, but I I imagine Jesus just sort of pulling his disciples to the side in this crowd, just finding a, a space where they can be alone for a moment. And he's worried. He's worried for him. He's worried they're going to see this, uh, this crowd and this, this popularity, and they're going to think that that's what it, it's about. They're going to see this as a display of power, and they're going to think that that's what it is about. And so Jesus says to them, don't get caught up in this worldly quest for power and popularity and, and, and personal comfort. Don't Don't get caught up in that. Don't don't hide any selfish motives. Be honest and and authentic and yourself. Don't worry about what others think or say or do. Stand for what I'm teaching you. And it's going to be hard. There are people who aren't going to like it. But stand up for what I'm teaching you. All these people out there, they're looking to be comfortable and to, to get their way. I'm not promising a comfortable and easy life. But you know what? They'll they'll be surprised, Jesus' teachings say again and again. They'll be surprised because that life they think that they want, it's not going to lead to fulfillment. But the life that I'm going to offer you, you'll find fulfillment in it. And some won't want to hear that. Jesus it's going to echo this call again and again, follow me, and the Holy Spirit will take care of you. Don't worry, because if you're following me, the Holy Spirit will, will guide you. If you keep reading in Luke, and I hope you will, we're not going to read all these, all these verses today here. If you'll keep reading in Luke, you'll find how, how Jesus, he goes on to, to share a parable about a rich man storing up treasures in his barns to assure a good life, only to die and have nothing. And then Jesus encourages his disciples to stop worrying and and trust God, and and he finishes this, this area of the passage with this. He says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell all your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's funny to me, those who who tend to read the Bible very literally, I don't see them selling all of their possessions and giving to the poor. Like, 
I, I don't see many of us selling all of our possessions and give to the poor. Like, like do we think that Jesus means this? Because this is what he says. He says, sell your possessions and, and give to the, to the poor. And I think that's because it's, it's not just about the possessions. It's about what we value. It's about what's most important to us. Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So where is your treasure? What does your heart treasure? Way to think about this is if people looked at your life from the, from the outside, if they, if they looked at the way you spent your time and, and your resources and your, your, your finances, if they, if they looked from the outside, what would, it, what would it show them that you treasure? If they looked at your actions day in and day out, what would it say is most important to you? One of the practices that I do every so often is that over the course of a week or more, usually I, usually I try to do two or three weeks, I'll chart my time. Um, and when I'm feeling ambitious, I'll also actually chart my, my um, expenditures each day. I just set up a, a spreadsheet. I used to do it on paper, but now, you know, it's really easy in Excel. So I just set up a, a spreadsheet, and, uh, and I, I label it from noon to midnight, my waking hours. Just kidding. <laughs> really like it that way, from, uh, from 7 a.m. To, to midnight, because that, that's usually it, and then sometimes I have to add on either end. But, and then literally every, every hour that I'm awake, every so often during the day, I'll stop and, and I fill in. What, what did I do essentially in each half hour of this day? It takes a little time, but at the end of a couple weeks or end of week or end of a couple weeks, it, it allows me to, to take a sampling of my life and answer this question, what, what do I value? With my time and my resources right now, what is it? What, what am I showing the world that I value? What am I showing myself that I value? I've invited us to do this before. I really want to invite us today as, as we think about the saints and we think about their witness and we think about the fact that we, we are part of the church. We know about Jesus' love today because people showed us that they value Jesus in their lives. I want to invite us all to do this practice. And I thought the best way to do that would be for me to do it and, and to model it and, and to show you. And so I, I, uh, I did it this week. I logged all of my hours. And then last night I tallied it all up, and I looked, and I decided I didn't want to share it this morning. <laughs> but I will. I will, as I say this, this practice is not to judge yourself. We believe in the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. This practice is not to judge yourself. It's instead a spiritual practice to, to invite God to, to lead you in your life to lead me in my life. It's a practice intended for spiritual growth, not judgment. So, with that, here, here it is. I plugged the numbers in and created kind of a fun pie chart. You don't have to do this. That you, you, you'll be able to just look at the numbers and, and know. So, a week in the life of Pastor Brian, what does Pastor Brian value? Well, according to this chart, Pastor Brian values time with family, and 
communicating what's happening to all of you at Clay Church and church leadership functions, working with staff and, and leadership teams and, and, uh, and just general leadership of, of the church. Now, I should put a quick caveat in. My family time was actually bumped up this week because we took Noah on a college visit. So there's 10 hours in there that was, uh, that was a college visit for, uh, for Noah. But I, I do hope that my life in any given week would show that family is a, is a value. Now, if I'm going to grow in this activity, though, I also have to look and go, okay, wait a minute. I have to note what's missing or off balance. For example, I tend, it seems this week, to value Star Wars Game of Heroes on the iPad and Netflix more than prayer time. This is the part I didn't want to share. And I could make an excuse and say, do you know what, in the sermon preparation time that's up there, I've prayed, and, and I pray in the car sometimes, and I pray on the go. I could, I could make an excuse, but the honest truth is, my prayer life over the last couple of weeks, it needs work. I need to spend more time in direct conversation with God in my life right now. What am I voting for with my time and my attention? And the, the question is important because if it's, if it's not Jesus, I've got to ask, is that what I want? And for me, the answer is no. And if it's not Jesus, then, then what will I do? So how about you? How does your life reflect your core values? How does your life reflect your relationship with Jesus? I remember uh, in seminary, we read this case study of from a counselor, and, and she was working with a, a man, and these were real case studies from the counseling department at the seminary where I attended. She was working with a man, middle age, about my age actually, who, uh, who came in, and um, life was generally okay, but he came in and he just said, I can't find any fulfillment in life. I'm at odds with my kids, uh, one in high school, one in college. Like, life is just a struggle right now. My wife finally suggested I should try counseling, and so I'm here. The counselor asked him to do a, a, a time and finance chart, similar to the activity that I do every so often, and then to come back and talk through what he found. And so he, he came back, and she asked him what he, what he values in life, and he said, I value my family, I, I value uh, my wife, I value uh, my church and faith, and uh, and they looked at the time chart, and she said, that's not what this shows. This shows you value work and you value money. And, uh, and he hedged a little, and so she sent him to talk to his family and said, you know, ask them what they think you value. I have a discussion at the dinner table about core values. So he came back. Two weeks later was his next appointment. He came back, and, uh, and at that next appointment, she said, so what did your family say? And he said, they say I value work and money. And so the, the counselor challenged him at that meeting. She 
wrote in her notes, since the, this case write-up, she said she challenged him at that meeting to find two hours a week, two hours more a week than he'd spent in his time chart with family, to intentionally spend two more hours a week with family and one more hour a week in service or in, in commitment to his faith of some kind. And then she said, I want you to, you're, you're a business person, I want you to take your calendar and I want you to calendar in 10 minutes every day wherever it fits across your week, 10 minutes every day to spend with God. You can do that however you want. You can journal, you can pray, you can just sit in silence, whatever you want to do, but 10 minutes to spend with God. A month later, he came back. I think there was a two-week meeting in between there, but a month later, she said, he came back, and he had this huge grin on his face, and he said, my life has been transformed. He said, I... I find more fulfillment now than I have in a long, long time. It's like my relationships with my kids is better. My relationship with my wife is better. And the counselor cautioned him and said, you know, that, that's great, um, but these are practices you're developing. So I don't think that like this two weeks is some kind of miracle cure, but, but I hope it sets a, a path for fulfillment and meaning in your life. Will you vote for Jesus? If your life is lacking the fulfillment that you're looking for, a vote for Jesus may just fill that void. If you've been worrying a lot in life, worrying about anything, if your life just seems consumed by worry, a vote for Jesus in your life may just lead to the kind of peace that you seek you can give it to God. If you found yourself broken or struggling, a vote for Jesus may just lead to the kind of forgiveness that you need in, in your own life or the kind of grace and forgiveness you need to find in relationships to find meaning and fulfillment again. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, we receive this invitation today lived out in the life of the saints, right? If we treasure the love of God, then the love of God will fill our hearts. And when the love of God fills our hearts and with our daily lives we vote for Jesus, then that love spreads. It spreads to others who come to know that love as well. So you should vote this week. Our system of government depends on our votes. But our message today is that God's kingdom isn't dependent on those votes. It isn't about those votes. Right? God's kingdom, as Jesus shares with his followers, is how your life, my life, how our lives reflect a vote for Jesus at our family dinner table, at work, at school, in your neighborhood, out in the community. Let's vote for Jesus. Let's be all in for Jesus. And then see what Jesus can do in our community, in our families, in our lives through our faithful witness. Amen.